0: Hello, everyone. I have more concerns about religion to display. Christian forgiveness is self-centered. Christianity is very big on forgiveness, but very short on restitution. It teaches you that you can harm others, steal from them, injure them kill them and receive instant forgiveness by transferring your punishment to Jesus and the cross. However, it does not require one to provide redress to those who are harmed as a condition for that forgiveness. A great show on Netflix called BoJack Horseman brought up a really good point against Christianity's view on sin. The show makes almost no reference to religion except one scene where a side character ends up in a convent. After being told her sins have been washed clean, the character asks as a nun something along the lines of, but what about the lives I've ruined? The people I've hurt? Has that pain been washed away too? The nun brushes off the question I think that's Emblematic of why Christianity's quote unquote forgiveness trope is so problematic. You can be forgiven for your sins, but the people you've hurt remain hurt. Why does the process of healing sin never address this? One of the many ways Christians, a lot of them, not all of them, are incredibly self centered. Here is what is missing from the Gospels. Master, what should I do to be forgiven for what I did? You must do these things. Apologize to the person you've, you harmed, and promise to never again visit pain upon them. Then restore what you have taken even to the twice over, Do them favors and help them to regain what you have taken from them. When you have accomplished these things, then your Father in heaven will forgive you for what you have done. If the Gospels emphasized this format for forgiveness, the world would be very different and very much better. I interpret this I interpret all of this as to me it's all brilliant um all wise um all of discernment all of healthy clarity um all geniusness um all truthful um uh, all loving 100% justice is what I appreciate about this and I am so in awe of the concern centered compassion and the empathy centered benevolence and I agree with the point that forgiveness is warped in religion. Healing, what they call sin, is warped in religion. Um, I love that reciprocity was emphasized. I love that mutuality was emphasized. I love that cooperation and teamwork were both emphasized. And I love that there is a denouncing and renouncing of scandalous department and villainous misconduct. This is another tough point for me to make. According to the Bible writers, the biblical God fails to reign in, quote-unquote, his followers. If we assume that the Yahweh of the Bible is the true God of the universe and that, quote-unquote, he converted from Judaism to Christianity at the time of Jesus whose real name is Joshua, then one must ask whether, quote-unquote, he is satisfied with the way, quote-unquote, his followers have behaved over the past 2,000 years. Does, quote-unquote, he have the power to influence them so that they don't embarrass the faith of Christianity or discourage others from joining Christianity? Here are some of the bad things that Christians, a lot of them, but not all of them, have done over the past 20 centuries killing witches, killing apostates, killing Muslims and Jews, imprisoning and killing scientists, killing native populations and stealing their land, promoting slavery, harassing, beating, stalking, and killing the LGBTQIA community practicing misogyny and misandry abandoning family members who disbelieve harassing and killing abortion providers and abortion clinics sexually abusing children child marriages Extorting money from the poor who can't afford it, extreme corporal punishment, <sighs> the overusage of capital punishment, <sighs> beating up people at abortion clinics, by the way promoting a prosperity gospel promoting firearms and doing nothing about the killing of elementary school children abandoning the wishes of the families whose children in elementary schools died due to gun violence Fighting against other Christian denominations in the form of pettiness and reality TV show antics against one another in terms of the Christian denominations. Discriminating against foreigners, immigrants. Refugees. Strangers. DACA recipients. People of Hispanic descent. People of African descent. Native Americans. Reservations. And people of brown complexions and dark complexions, including those from what is called the Middle East. Damaging democratic norms, fighting against scientific discoveries, promoting white supremacy. The record of how lots of Christians, but not all Christians, have behaved makes it seem that if The biblical Yahweh is the true God, then quote unquote, he has done he has not done much of anything to ensure that quote unquote his followers set a good example for others to encourage them to join the faith called Christianity. This suggests that the biblical Yahweh. Has remained the God of the Jews. Or. It makes a lot of people think. That the biblical Yahweh does not exist. And it hurts me. To say all these things. I do not take joy in saying any of these things. But. History. ...of the Christian nature... ...has a lot of ugliness... ...and hard-heartedness... ...and... ...a lot of... ...cruelty to it. Now, I understand... ...that there are people who pretend to be Christians then there are people who are actually Christians. (laughs) I understand that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. I understand that there are vultures. I understand that there are snakes. And I understand that there are foxes like Herod of the Bible. I understand that there are whitewashed tombs. And that they make... Christians who never use the Bible to cut down anyone. Not even those different from them. And not even themselves. And not even God, most of all. Making them look bad. I get that. And I understand that not all church people contribute to... The societal plagues of our global world. That had to be said. But there's not enough believers, in my view, who are going public against these charlatans who claim the Christian Jesus. I have more concerns about religion and you can hear it in my voice and I am displeased about what I'm learning. Religion of death. Judeo-Christianity worships a God, the biblical Yahweh, who apparently has an obsession about killing the very people that it invented. These scriptures are in every person's Bible, Regardless of version and regardless of translation. So, this indictment is not controversial from my perspective. The Bible commands us to kill adulterers, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Kill all witches according to Exodus chapter 22, verse 18. Kill blasphemers according to Leviticus chapter 24, verse 14. Kill false prophets according to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 3. Kill fortune tellers according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 27. Kill anyone who sins according to Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. Kill the curious according to first Samuel chapter 16 verses 18 through 19 kill gays kill gays Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13 Romans chapter 1 verses 21 through 32 kill all non-hebrews Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses 16 through 17 kill sons of sinners according to Isaiah chapter 14 verse 21. Kill non-believers according to Second Chronicles chapter fifteen verses twelve to thirteen. Kill anyone who curses God according to Leviticus chapter twenty-four verse sixteen. Kill anyone. Kill any child who hits who hits his parent. Kill any child who hits their parents. Exodus chapter twenty-one verse fifteen. Kill children who disobey parents according to Deuteronomy chapter twenty-one verse twenty. Kill those who work on the Sabbath, according to Exodus chapter 31, verse 15. Kill disobedient children, according to Exodus chapter 21, verse 17 and Matthew chapter 7, verse 10. Kill all males after winning battles, according to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 13. Kill strangers close to a church, according to Numbers chapter 1, verses 48 through 51. Kill those who curse father or mother, according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9. Kill men who have sex with other men, according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. Kill any bride discovered not a virgin, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 21. Kill those who worship the wrong God, according to Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. Kill anyone who does not observe the Sabbath, according to Exodus chapter 31, verse 14. Kill everyone in a town that worships the wrong God, according to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 13 through 16. And kill anyone who kills anyone, according to Leviticus chapter 24, verse 17. I have to take a breather on it because... My, benevol- my nature of benevolence is highly offended. This is all grotesque. This is all disheartening. This is all reviling. This is all repulsive and all repugnant to me. There is no good defense for this other than to say weekly that most of this is in an Old Testament And Jesus did away with these particular rules. Well, that might play for non-thinking Christians who have a shallow understanding of the foundation of their faith. But it doesn't work when someone looks closely at how this faith evolved. It began with primitive, Bronze age men who held a brutish view of the world and ended with reverence for a man, Jesus, who said some nice things. But who also stated that no law in the Old Testament was obsolete. So there it is. This is Christianity. This is why we know it has absolutely nothing to do with any truly kind-hearted God anywhere. Okay, here are my thoughts on it. I am appalled that the Bible claims that God endorses his slaughter, Slayings, killings, carnage, butchery, massacres, murders, bloodlettings, bloodbaths, gores, pogroms, genocide, violence, fighting, hostilities, conflicts, warfare, war, battles, woundings, and injuries of people's inner lives and outer lives. For any and all barbarous reasons. So, that means that according to the Bible writers, the God of the Bible is a hypocrite, a sanctimonious being a whited sulpoker, a plaster saint, a humbug, a pretender, a deceiver, a dissembler, an imposter, the supreme pharisee, a tart tough, a pecksniff, and a canter. And a... Oscars award winning pietist, this biblical goddess. Yahweh indulges in hypocrisy. And I take no pleasure in saying these things, but you can't say that adoration and extermination. Our bedfellows. I have even more concerns regarding religion. God has communication issues Is it possible for an omnipotent God In the minds of believers Such as Yahweh The biblical one Who has concerns for human life And plans for afterlife reward And punishment to engage in such an impotent method of communication The answer appears to be no If God exists, and if God really wants you to believe something, and if God is very powerful, then it would make sense for God to just write that knowledge on your heart. Why bother choosing a hit or miss method of communication like speaking through a prophet? This would not decrease free will since you would still have the ability to reject quote unquote him. The only difference is that it would be a truly informed decision. So one of the following must be true. One, there's no God. Two, God lacks the power to impart knowledge directly. Three, God is not overly concerned with what you believe. Four, God is deliberately choosing an unreliable communication method for whatever reason. If forced to choose, Christians would most likely settle on number four and chalk it up to mysterious ways. They go to defense whenever their beliefs fun into a wall of incoherence. The atheist goes for number one, the deist for number two, and the misotheist for number three. What is missing for Christians is something on the order of number five. God prints knowledge of, quote-unquote, himself on the hearts of every soul. Quote-unquote, he creates. So books, priests, pastors, and missionaries are not needed to spread, quote-unquote, his message to humankind. So the Bible writers depict God as faulty, Malfunctioning, broken, damaged, defective, not working, not functioning, in disrepair, out of order, out of commission, inoperative, unsound, unusable, useless, working badly or and working badly or unreliably because of imperfections. And that God, according to the Bible writers, is flawed, distorted, inaccurate, and of reasoning and other mental processes mistaken or misleading because of flaws. God regrets making a mistake. Christians rarely, well, a lot of Christians, actually, but not all of them, rarely consider the implications of the story in Genesis where God regrets, quote unquote, his creation, realizing that, quote unquote, he made a mistake. One thing is certain in life. If someone makes a mistake, they can make another mistake. There is no reason to conclude that if this God is real, which sometimes I feel like he isn't. He in quotations and if the scriptures are accurate according to scientists and scholars they aren't then quote unquote he can regret again and start all over maybe not with a flood but perhaps with a big asteroid. This brings me to this brings me to my favorite Bible quote of all time, the person writing this said that. Um, Genesis chapter six verse six New International Version. The Lord regretted that, quote-unquote, he had made human beings on the earth, and, quote-unquote, his heart was deeply troubled. Tell me again about your infallible, all-powerful God and how, quote-unquote, he regretted, quote-unquote, his creation. Honestly, how is this not Exhibit A in each and every single discussion about what a shitty... Character The Bible writers paint God out to be Quote-unquote He literally admits In quote-unquote His holy book That quote-unquote He fucked up creation so bad He had to wipe it out Regret it in quotations For the life of me I can't figure out How this isn't a bigger deal This guy is eternal If he regret it once He can regret again If he fucked up once, he can fuck up again. How can you trust anything about religion when, for all you know, next week he could just say, whoops, another fuck up. Let me go ahead and start over again. I understand that some people take the story as literal history. And probably far more others take it as a parable. But even accepting it as parable, what lesson am I supposed to even take from it. What morals does it even teach? It doesn't say jack shit about what made Noah's family better than everyone else. Believe in God or I'll drown all your neighbors. If I'm a good follower, God's going to build me an ark amidst the apocalypse. Holy shit, I'd rather die with my neighbors. What kind of incentive is this? How can anyone ever trust a supremely powerful being who famously said, I fucked up once, and I promised not to fuck up again? There could be no question that assigning regret to God, admitting he made a mistake, was itself a big mistake by the author or authors of Genesis. It set up a scenario of uncertainty surrounding Yahweh's capabilities, intentions, and methods of resolving conflict, and that this God might get caught up in another mistake. Um... so the So, the Bible writers depict God as harmful, detrimental, injurious, hurtful, inimical, dangerous, destructive, ruinous, calamitous, disastrous, deleterious, pernicious, ill, bad, evil, baleful, malign, corrupting, malignant, adverse, undesirable. Prejudicial, unfavorable, unfortunate, counterproductive, unhealthy, unwholesome, poisonous, cancerous, noxious, environmentally unfriendly, malefic, maleficent, and prejudicious. So the Bible writers are also saying that God has a de- has detrimental effects. On all of our lives. Mm. I have two more points to make. The Fidelity Gap Christians allege that the Bible is not a human product, but rather is was a book produced by God by use of divine quote-unquote dictation and assumably guidance to Select the books that should be included, as well as assistance to copyists and translators to maintain the fidelity of the text and make sure it meets God's intention. Because of this assumption, they are practically forced to assert that the Bible contains no errors. God is perfect, but we know it does contain errors. So how should Christians deal with this? There are two approaches maintained against all evidence that the Bible is perfect or admit that there are errors but that the main themes relevant to devotions and salvation are correct. The first approach is dead on arrival, and the second approach is likewise problematic. If problems, errors, or contradictions are found in any book other than the Bible, it is easy to see them as being isolated in nature and that they don't invalidate other parts of the book, although they might slightly cast some doubt. On the other hand, a book that supposedly was produced by omnipotent God cannot be given the same degree of latitude. Any error found in the Bible does more than just cast doubt on the remaining parts. It invalidates the underlying claim of divine imprimatur. What this means is that an error found in the Bible has greater significance than one found in another book. It it causes more credibility damage. The only way around this problem is to admit that the Bible was written by fallible humans in the absence of divine guidance or that this guidance was imperfect. But... Once either of those concessions is made, the ship has sailed. So I would say that according to the Bible writers, God harms the world. God does damage to the world. God injures the world. God mars the world. God defaces the world. God mutilates the world. God mangles the world. God impairs the world. God blemishes the world. God disfigures the world. God vandalizes the world. God blights the world. God spoils the world. God defiles the world. God desecrates the world. God tampers with the world. God sabotages the world. God disrupts the world negatively. God plays havoc with the world. God wreaks havoc with the world. God Vitiates the world, God ruins the world, God devastates the world badly, God destroys the world badly, God wrecks the world, God cripples the world, God drives a nail into the coffin of the world, and God disfeatures the world. God inflicts physical harm on the world so as to impair the world's value, usefulness, or normal function in the name of impure hatefulness. I did say I was going to have one more thing to add. And while I go in that direction, I just want to say that When it comes to Christianity, I noticed that they like to make money from corrupt people and they like to defend corrupt people. So, let me share what I mean. Historically, the church takes money from those who commit abuse of discretion, and they defend those who commit abuse of discretion. They defend the taking of money from people who they would privately say is ungodly, but publicly shower these people with praise. And so the church doesn't believe that God takes care of it. That's why... They take money from those who commit abusive dominance and defend those who commit abusive dominance. So basically, if then the church... The church defends those who commit abusive information and take money from those who commit abusive information. The church financially, professionally and personally stands by those who commit abuse of power, abuse of process, abuse of rank, abuse of statistics, abuse of trust, abuse of supervision, academic abuse, adolescent abuse, adult abuse, alcohol use disorder, animal abuse, antisocial behavior, and bullying. So the church takes money from all those types of monsters and stands in solidarity with all those types of monsters. So the church financially, professionally, And personally stands by character assassination, child abuse, child sexual abuse, child on child sexual abuse, civil rights abuse, clandestine abuse, clerical abuse, cyber abuse or cyber bullying, and dating abuse or dating violence. So the church takes money from all these types of monsters and stands in solidarity with all these types of monsters. So the church financially, professionally, personally stands by defamation, disability abuse, discriminatory abuse, domestic abuse, or domestic violence, economic abuse, elder abuse, emotional abuse, employee abuse, false accusations, flag abuse, the system, gaslighting, gay abuse, or gay bashing, harassment, hate crimes, hazing, human rights abuse, and humiliation. So the church takes money from all these types of monsters and stands in solidarity with all these types of monsters. So the church financially, professionally, personally stands by humiliation, incivility, institutional abuse, insults, intimidation, legal abuse, Lesbian abuse, market abuse, medical abuse, military abuse, mind abuse, or mind control, misconduct, mobbing, narcissistic abuse, lesbian bashing, neglect, negligence, parental abuse by children, passive aggressive behavior, patient abuse, peer abuse, persecution. Physical abuse, police abuse, political abuse, prejud- prejudice, prison abuse or prisoner abuse, and professional abuse. So the church stands in solidarity to all these monsters and takes money from all these monsters. The church financially. Professionally and personally stands by psychological abuse, racial abuse, or racism, ragging, rape, relational aggression, religious abuse, rootness, satanic ritual abuse, school bullying, sectarian abuse, self-abuse, sexual abuse, sexual abuse, sexual bullying, sibling abuse, smear campaign, spiritual abuse, stalking, structural abuse, substance use disorder, surveillance abuse, taunting, teacher abuse, teasing, Telephone abuse, terrorism, transgender abuse, or trans bashing, empire abuse, verbal abuse, or verbal attacks, whispering campaigns, workplace abuse, or workplace bullying. The church stands in solidarity with all these types of monsters, and church takes money from all these types of monsters. So... So the church financially Professionally and personally Stands by Overt abuse, covert or controlling abuse Unpredictability, disproportional Exaggerated reactions, dehumanization Objectification, abuse of information Impossible situations setting up to fail Controlled by proxy Ambient abuse Gaslighting Unwholesome praise, superficial charm, flattery, ingratiation, love bombing, smiling, gifts, attention, negative reinforcement, intimate or partial reinforcement, psychological punishment such as nagging, silent treatment, swearing, threats, intimidation, emotional blackmail, guilt, guilt trips, inattention, traumatic tactics such as verbal abuse or explosive anger, and manipulators and abusers controlling their victims in a range of tactics including positive reinforcement. So, the church stands in solidarity with all these types of monsters. And the church takes money from all these types of monsters. So, the church is addicted to personal gain, personal gratification, psychological projection, devaluation and envy just for the sake of it as the abusers may may simply enjoy exercising power and control. Traumatic bonding is common in the church. Climate of fear, being resistant to change, ongoing cycles of abuse and intermittent reinforcement of reward and punishment is common in the church. Attempts Made by them to normalize, legitimize, rationalize, de- deny or minimize abusive behaviors is normal in the church. Blaming victims, shaming victims, game playing and game playing victims and mind gaming victims for the abusive behavior that the victims did not cause with the victimizers cause is normal in the church isolation, gaslighting, mind games, lying, dis- disinformation, propaganda, destabilization, brainwashing, divide and rule are the other traumatic strategies that are often used in the church. And it's normal for victims to be plied with alcohol or drugs or deprived of sleep to help disorient, disorientate them. That happens in church too. Um Limiting victims' actions and they may then lack the necessary resources to resist the abuse is normal in the church. The goal of the abusers is to control and intimidate the victim or to influence them to feel that they do not have an equal voice in the relationship. That's normal in church. Um, controlling abusers may use multiple tactics to exert power control over their victims. The tactics themselves are psychologically, sometimes physically abusive. Is normal in the church. Um... Abusive power control, controlling behavior, coercive control is the way that abusers gain and maintain power control over a victim for an abusive purpose. Such as psychological, physical, sexual, financial abuse is normal in the church. Abusers and victims being forced to, to do kumbaya with each other is normal in the church. The vulnerabilities of the victim are exploited with those who are particularly vulnerable be- being most often selected as targets is normal in the church. Uh, Stockholm syndrome is normal in the church. Coercive power is normal in the church. Abusive power control is normal in the church. Characteristics and styles of abuse are normal in the church. Um. Abuses may aim to avoid household chores or exercise total control of family finances is normal in the church. Abuses can be very manipulative, after recruiting friends, law officers, and court officials, even the victim's family, to decide while shifting blame to the victim is normal in the church. Uh, high rates of suspicion and jealousy, sudden and drastic mood swings, poor self control, higher than average rates of approval of violence and aggression is normal in the church. Um antisocial people exhibiting two distinct types of interpersonal aggression. One against strangers, the other against intimate partners, while antisocial while well, other antisocial people really aggressive against anyone other than their intimate partners is that's normal in the church. Interpersonal aggression and psychological aggression are normal in the church. Um, exhibiting high rates of personality disorders when it comes to perpetrators of emotional, and physical abuse, is normal in the church. Um, some of the abusers being made to face court order treatment programs, who have personality disorders, that's normal in the church. Narcissistic, compulsive behaviors are normal in the church. Um, severe injury and sexual abuse, uh, as well as physical discipline on children. Is normal in the church in the name of child maltreatment and the reports of child maltreatment. So, in the church, you've got people who experience chronic depression, anxiety, post traumatic stress disorder, dissociation, anger, hypervigilance, intrusive imagery, avoidance behaviors, workplace bullying, alexithymia, difficult to identifying and processing their own emotions, marital con. After Effects of Abuse Inability to Balance Self Slash Other Needs Effectively Impediments to Couples' Development Decreased Satisfactions Uh, Adult Withdrawals Relationship Dissatisfaction Mental abuse. And people who feel like, well, I'm so used to emotional abuse, but I can't characterize the mistreatment as abusive. These are all normal in the church. Psychological trauma, complex post-traumatic stress disorder is normal in the church. Childhood bullying is normal in the church. In the church, people are discriminated against based on age, clothing, or appearance, ethnicity, nationality, or culture, according traits like language gender including gender-related traits such as pregnancy, health such as HIV slash AIDS or disability, mental disorders, language usage, lifestyle or occupation, uh, race or skin color, religion or political affiliation, sexuality and uh, and sexual orientation, social class or creed, weight or height, um, caricatures, stereotypes, and defamation, these are all normal in the church. And people who are labeled learning disabilities, autism, developmental coordination disorders, individuals with physical differences are maligned in the church. And lastly, witnessing, memory, testimony, transcription, duplication, and translation. There are many hurdles of which the news about Jesus had to jump before it came to modern ears. Each of these introduced error, distortion, exaggeration, fraud, and agenda. Even if someone was at the feeding of the 5,000, they might have been in the back, and after being momentarily blocked out from seeing what was happening, suddenly saw a bunch of people eating fish and bread, and it seemed like a miracle. What they actually witnessed was nothing of the sort. Thirty years later, when they were remembering the, the event, they might miss some details or add on some details that they didn't see. We know that memories can change over time. When they talk to others about what they experienced, they likely had an incentive to jazz up the scene, add in something they knew to be untrue to make the story more exciting or memorable. This happens all the time. When someone hears a story and then writes it down, more distortions occur. As the writer misunderstand, misunderstood, the witness testimony or deliberately add some details to make their story even more compelling. When scribes copied the books of the Bible, they may have either inadvertently or purposefully changed what was originally written. Once a change was made, it likely would be carried forth in future copies. When the older texts were lost, there was no way to verify what the original said. When texts are translated to other languages, nuances of those languages can easily introduce differences in meaning. Not to mention, many translators are incentivized to make textual changes to promote their interpretation of the faith. This has been observed in many of the modern translations of the Bible. So what we think we know about Jesus or any other person in the Bible has passed through these screens, leaving such a murky picture that it seems impossible to know the truth. So why would a supernatural, powerful God deliver his good news in such a primitive, inefficient, and unreliable manner? Oh, the writer put good news in quotations, by the way. Why didn't he just miraculously produce perfect books in every human language? The story of the Bible, how it passed through these distorting hurdles, is good evidence that a supernatural, all-powerful God was not completely involved in its creation. So... So basically, the Bible writers are rude, ill-mannered, bad-mannered, impolite, discourteous, impertinent, insolent, imprudent, um, ill-bred, disrespectful, uncivil, unmannerly, graceless, unpleasant, abusive, derogatory, disparaging, tactless, ungentlemanly, Uncomplimentary, uncharitable, um, unchivalrous, uncharitable, offensive, and insulting. So um This is the best way for me to close. A lot of believers hate this particular verse in this particular passage of scripture. It says Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This is about the cost of discipleship according to Matthew chapter 8 verse 20. So a lot of believers are pissed off at God because... Because being a Christian may mean that following Jesus could land Christians as poor, poverty stricken, impoverished, necessitous, beggarly, in penury, penurious, impoverished. Pasunious, indigent, needy, needful, in need slash want, badly off, low paid, in reduced circumstances, in straitened circumstances, destitute, hard up, short of money, on one's beam ends, unable to make ends meet, underprivileged, deprived, penniless, without a suit, as poor as a church mouse, money- moneyless, bankrupt, bust, insolvent, in debt, in the red, on the bread line, Beggared, pauperized without a penny to their name of a place inhabited by them without sufficient money, lacking sufficient money, and lacking sufficient money to live in a standard considered comfortable or normal in a society. Um, and they feel like As believers, they're never, ever supposed to live on the poor side of town as dirt poor people. These explain more of the reasons in their bigoted minds why poor is a sin to them. They think Jesus, being poor, proves that he sinned according to them. And this is the same Bible that makes the Ku Klux Klan dance. They say, I want to bring back legal segregation. And the best source for that is the scriptures. And police brutality is championed by the racists who claim to be disciples of the one they call Jesus Christ. So Blue Lives Matter people claim to be Christians while denying the need for Black Lives Matter out of the addiction their drug of choice called racism. And so when I think about the fact that. Being in the church world for myself. I just remember. Churches being bad with money. I remember churches being dishonest about where people's money goes when they collect people's money, they don't even put on the bulletins where all your money is going in terms of a in terms of, in terms of an authentic, Reporting that says, "Okay, we're take, we're putting all your money in these charities, whether these charities overseas or in America, North America." They do not say, and sometimes they pass the tithes and offerings buckets more than once because the first time they didn't make as much money, so uh, they didn't make as much money, so they say, "Okay." Let's pass it around more than once until we get all the money that we're satisfied with having because money is their mission. Greed is good to them and they think that their goodness is greediness. They toss money on the altar so the church and even the pastors can have extra love offerings, extra tithes and offerings, not because they want to help families in Africa or the Middle East or North America or any other place of the world. And so for me, I had to learn that they don't, church, a lot of churches don't like people questioning them about a lack of financial accountability. They don't like to be held financially accountable by parishioners and people who are not parishioners. And when you stop giving them money. They say. You work eight hours on the job. That means you should spend all day in the church. On Saturday and or Sunday. Or any other time the church is open. So. the church makes itself to be a multi-billion dollar cult. And on top of that, within these churches, There are no true advantages of going to church that can't be experienced on the street. In other words, what I experience in the streets is what I experience in churches. So there's no upper hand of me going. There's no advantage of me going. There's no need for me to go. There's no desire for me to go. Because... If you sweep my traumas under the rug in the streets. Which happens. And then I go to church and y'all sweeping my trauma under the rugs in churches. Then I'm back to square one in the streets. So toxic positivity in streets and then toxic positivity in churches. Spiritual bypassing in the street and then spiritual bypassing in churches. Spiritualizing in the streets and then spiritualizing in churches. Gaslighting the streets, gaslighting in churches. Confirmation bias in the street, confirmation bias in churches. Rape culture in the street, rape culture in churches. Intimate partner violence in the streets, intimate partner violence in churches. A mixture of prosperity gospel and Trumpism in the streets, and, and a mixture of prosperity gospel and Trumpism in the churches. Corporate greed and corporate welfare in the streets, and corporate welfare and corporate greed in the churches. Toxic empathy in the streets and toxic empathy in the churches? Compassion fatigue in the streets? And then compassion fatigue in the churches? Doggy dog we're on the streets, doggy dog we're in the churches? Save your skin, save your own skin and watch out for number one in the streets and save your own skin and watch out for number one in the churches. You get yours, you get mine. In the streets, you get yours, you get mine in the churches. The Christianized version is you get your blessing and I get mine. And if you don't get your blessing, I'ma get your blessings and I'm get my blessings in the churches just like they are in the streets. You're on your own in the streets and you're on your own in the churches. I'll hurt you and let you hurt in the streets, and I'll let you... hurt and I'll hurt you in the churches. Survival of the fittest, and every person for themselves in the streets and... Survival of the fittest and every person for themselves in the churches. Stinginess in the streets and stinginess in the churches? Hoarding and hogging all the blessings for myself in the streets and hoarding and hogging all the blessings for myself in the churches? Gradation of sins and hierarchy of iniquity in the streets. And gradation of sins and hierarchy of iniquity in the churches. Protecting scandals in the streets and protecting scandals in the churches. Domination in the streets and world domination in the churches? This same Satan that is allowed to run rampant in the streets is the same Satan as allowed to run rampant in the churches? Assholes in the streets? And assholes in the churches?